We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Yeah, yeah. God is faithful. Yeah. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Gary Seifers. I serve at Bethel as a senior associate pastor. And uh, it's been my privilege to, to be here about 13 years now. I, I don't think I'll ever get over saying I'm a newbie, but uh, as time goes on, uh, the things fit well. I'd like to greet all of you. Thank you for taking time this morning to be here, to hear God's word, open it, and to see how it applies to our lives. Uh, we have kids still with us. If you're under fifth grade, sixth grade, raise your hand. I see you out there. It's good to have you here. Kids are some of my favorite people. I'd like to welcome those who are online as well. What you may not realize is that usually three to 400 people tune in and watch our service online each Sunday. And so we welcome those folks, our, my traditions friends, and the Bethel Church at Kindred as well. Today we're gonna to be looking in the scriptures and if you need a copy of the Bible, a Bible, please raise your hand. We have ushers coming down the aisles and they'd be happy to, to loan you one. If you don't have one at home, please feel free to keep that Bible and take it with you. Our question for today is we've been examining different questions over the summer. Today we're going to ask, does God give us a detailed blueprint for our lives? I brought with me some copies of blueprints. Uh, don't worry, these are not my notes uh, for today. But this is where you need the big drafting table, you know, to spread them out and, and uh, see what they really say. A blueprint the dictionary says, is a very detailed design plan that is created by architects to plan new buildings or projects. Following the who, what, why, when, where, how, and how much of a set of blueprints enables a contractor to hopefully make a reality out of the dreams of the designer. Some of you perhaps work in career fields where blueprints are common. And technical drawings. I know it's probably all done on computer today. Though I have completed three seminary graduate programs, I didn't have a single class on how to read a blueprint. So you can imagine the learning curve as I sat in the weekly contractor meetings in Tucson as the owner's rep for our new church school campus which was going to be built on 80 acres of pristine desert. Pristine desert that sometimes was visited by a protected pygmy owl of all things. The construction team was incredibly patient and gracious as I learned about geological surveys, code requirements, punch lists, as-builds. I was the lucky one who inspected the 40-plus classrooms in August in Tucson before the AC was connected. After a few hours in the sweltering heat, I couldn't tell where I was 
or if a wall looked painted, dinged, oversprayed, or what? I did not learn my lesson, though, as a 3,000-seat worship center followed that next year, and then again in Frisco, I was part of the process of building a couple large buildings. Thirteen years ago, when I was a candidate here and they said they had no other buildings planned, I quickly replied to the job offer with, I accept. You know, if a contractor took these drawings, these blueprints, he could follow the specifications and build approximately the same buildings. Many believers think about God's will for their life as a finished blueprint. Everything's predetermined and we have to find it. But is that true? Larry Osborne in his book, 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe, suggests that rather than an exact blueprint, God gives us a game plan for all of life's major decisions. We all face major decisions in life. College, yes, no. Which one? How much debt? Which career? Oh, there's so many choices. What dad wants? What mom wants? What I want? What grandpa will pay for? Should I marry? If so, who? When? Kids? Okay, a boy? A girl? Check. Oops, guess God overruled with that third child. How did we know where to live? In our experience, it's been Iowa, Minnesota, Tennessee, Texas. Oh, the mountains of Colorado were so beautiful. But back to Iowa, Portugal on the coast, Arizona, Texas, and finally we got to the promised land, Fargo, North Dakota. I had a friend who was from China, and I was mentoring him, helping him with his doctoral dissertation, and his English was not real good, but when I told him what God was directing us to do to come to Fargo, he, he said, Fargo, North Dakota? <laughs> he knew his geography of the U.S. about as well as I knew the geography of China. Thinking of God's will as a blueprint suggests that there's only one right choice. But when we look at the Bible, unfortunately there are not specific answers to many of life's questions. Sometimes we really wish there were, huh? What should I do in this situation? A blueprint suggests that God's will is something I have to search for and find, that one right answer. What if I miss it? When I was an early, a young Christian in high school, I had a friend who had gone to Bible college, felt called to the ministry, didn't work out, and he felt like from that point on, he was living God's second best. That somehow he had missed God's will. What a depressing thought. In Matthew 12, 28 and following, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus seems to talk about living, not looking. The Bible does declare God's sovereignty and says everything is under his control. But then he also gave mankind a free will and personally holds us and holds us personally responsible for our choices. I believe that while acknowledging God's omniscience, we must also note that we are told to obey and to pray and that our prayers change things. A blueprint sounds a lot like doing things, following lists. Does the title Pharisees come to mind? Jesus talked about relationships, character, wisdom, freedom, and the results of loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I believe that God has a game plan for my life, not a specific blueprint. But if that is true, then how can I discover it? How can I confidently know that I am fulfilling God's will for my life? But first, let me ask, do you really want to know? A current movie proclaims a popular idea that true happiness results from being free from all restraint and all responsibility. Just be yourself. Live your truth. Put yourself first. God wants you to be happy. Follow your North Star. Unfortunately, these are the same counterfeit lies that the evil one has been peddling for thousands of years. He has tweaked the words happiness, love, hate, and given them new meanings. And most of us didn't even notice. Psalm 1 says that true happiness and fulfillment come from knowing God and following him. A wise man named C.S. Lewis once wrote, true happiness is a byproduct of a life well lived rather than the goal. Happiness requires that we're connected to something larger than ourselves ultimately God. We belong to the one who made us for himself and in him we find true joy. So again, do you really want to know God's will for your life? Well, if so, let's look at the scriptures together. We see in the scriptures that sometimes God was very specific about his will. Consider Noah, lots of gopher wood, but he had a detailed plan, didn't he? Jonah thought he could take a Mediterranean cruise, but God had a different thing in mind, didn't he? Very specifically, Moses building the tabernacle, what detail? Jesus himself said he came to do his father's will. And at the end of his life, he said, it is finished. 
All the needs weren't met. All the opportunities weren't fulfilled. But he came not to do that, to meet all the needs, fulfill all the opportunities. He came to do the Father's will. The disciples go down that street, around the corner, you'll see a colt tied up there. Bring him to me. And if the owner questions why, tell him the master sent you. Paul, trying to meet the needs through his missionary journeys, but was stopped. Don't go this way, go that way. Oftentimes, in the scriptures, we see examples of God specifically telling someone what to do. Though he can and sometimes does use those means today, he normally does not reveal his will to us today by an audible voice, the appearance of angels, miraculous signs, bizarre or unusual circumstances, showing us overwhelming needs or even greater opportunities. Fifty years ago, I almost missed out on the blessing of a lifelong relationship with my wife, Cheryl, because I was prayerfully waiting for that miraculous sign to confirm that she was the one. God can do those things. He can use any supernatural means, but I believe he has a better way that we'll look at in just a moment. Some Christians, when faced with a major decision, play what I call Bible roulette. You know, you let the Bible fall open, close your eyes, you point with your finger, and that's what God is telling you to do. Kids, don't try this at home, okay? A man once did this, desperate for direction, and this is what he read. Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) No, 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 he thought. Let's try again. Then he read, go thou and do likewise. Panicked. He thought one more time. Here we go. Whatever thou doest, do it it quickly. You know, to find God's will doesn't involve using the Bible as a charm book. Seriously, though, does God say anywhere that this is my will for you? We know that God wants us to think like he thinks. He has shared with us who he is, his character, and we can learn how he wants us to live from how he's interacted with men and women throughout history. But how can we know his will for those major decisions that we all eventually face? You might be surprised to know that there are a few references that make it exactly clear what his will is for us. If you look in your, follow along on your outline, we're going to look at some of those references. A first key reference is found in 2 Peter 3.9, which reads, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing or willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
God's desire for everyone is to realize their need for a personal savior, to repent from their sins and to trust in Christ before he returns. God is not willing or desiring that anyone would perish. He is being patient so more people can turn to him. How about you? Do you want to know God's will? You cannot expect his direction if you do not know him personally. It all starts with a relationship. Then once we've trusted Christ and received eternal life, God tells us that we need to be set apart, sanctified, to be holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5 reads, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess your own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, the unbelievers who do not know God. We must live as though life is more than a brief pleasure-seeking physical existence where the chief goal is to eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. God's will is that we be a light in this dark world by being holy. If you're trying to make a major decision in life, start by committing yourself to thinking how God thinks, confessing your shortcomings and then choosing to love what he loves. We cannot blame God when we ignore his truth about morality and things go bad. In the book of James it says that God will give you wisdom and direction, but we can't be double-minded. We have to be committed to following him. A third reference that tells us how we can fulfill God's will it is found in second I'm sorry 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 it says submit yourself for the lord's sake to every human institution whether to a man whether to a king as one in authority or to governors who are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and the praise of those who do right for such is the will of god that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God wants us to be a witness to the watching world by doing what's right and respecting authority, both God and man's. God has put various human authorities whom we can see in our lives for our own good. These authorities prepare us for obeying God, whom we cannot see. It might be our parents, challenging on kids. It might be a boss, might be our church leaders, might be our government. It might even be those we are trying to serve. When I was in Christian school administration for 20 years, I would do a survey oftentimes and try to get suggestions from the kids about 
and we, we gleaned numerous good ideas from, from the kids and their creativity. And I never did end up with an elevator from the first to second floor like they all wanted, but they had a lot of other good ideas. Often, in that discussion about what we could do, the question would come up about authorities and about who, who was whose boss. As a young person, it's easy to feel like, well, everybody's telling me what to do. Everybody's my boss, even my older brother or sister. It's not just mom and dad. I got grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles. And inevitably, the kids would ask me as the principal of the school, who's your boss? They're thinking that I have none. And I would explain the function of a school board and more importantly, I would explain that I was actually responsible to each of those kids. My choices and reactions and situations was often prefaced by the reminder, they're watching, they're watching. In a sense, I said to the kids, you're all my boss. You're all my boss. I've chosen to make myself accountable to you. The Apostle Paul said, if it made a difference, he would not eat meat the rest of his life because of his love for those that he served. Another scripture that I'd like to point out is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we have two more of these and then we'll wrap up. It says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we dedicate ourselves to God and begin that transforming process by having our minds renewed, reprogrammed, if you will, it will transform our lives. Once in this transforming process, this verse assures us that we will know what God's will is. The rest of Romans 12 describes how to humbly use our spiritual gifts to edify others in the body of Christ, the church. You'll find that wisdom about life's major decisions is found by renewing how you think with biblical truth in the context of healthy community or connections with other believers. All too often, we arrogantly make life decisions, major decisions, ignoring the counsel of the scriptures and possibly other believers. We foolishly convince ourselves that somehow we and the questions we face are somewhat, somehow unique, that we have to figure it out all by ourselves. But the scriptures say, there's nothing new under the sun. We usually do not know better than the advisors God's put in our life. A wise man once said, 
It's better if we learn from other people's experiences because we'll never live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves. To think that we always know best about everything is foolishness and the end results of that mindset are repeatedly illustrated in the book of Proverbs. So saturate your mind with God's truth. Be part of a growing fellowship, those that you're accountable to, and daily obey what you know to be true. Romans 12.2 then says, you will prove or demonstrate what God's will is. It is not an elusive, abstract, secret plan that you have to stress over, worrying that somehow you're gonna miss it. The last scripture that states how we can know God's will for our lives is found in Ephesians chapter five. Let me read this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be controlled by wine or get drunk with wine, that's wastefulness, but be filled or controlled by the Spirit. This control causes us to encourage one another, it puts a song of joy in our hearts, it gives us a thankful spirit, and it results in a humble attitude of subjection towards others. As we prepare to live victoriously and fulfill God's plan for our lives, we need to first be convinced of the presence of the Holy Spirit, yield control to him on a moment-by-moment basis. When we do that, we experience the filling of the Spirit. It's simple, it's powerful, it's repeatable. Many times a day I pray consciously, Lord, fill me and control me by your spirit and direct my thinking in my life. God will lovingly place you in challenging situations every day. In those moments, ask the spirit to fill and control you, your thoughts, your words, your actions. And the Bible says when you do that, you'll experience God's will for your life. Let me offer an acronym. You'll see this on your outline. The word hope, it was, I love the song that you sang, Anthony. His name is, hope is the same as the name of Jesus. Well, take this word hope, H-O-P-E, with you today as we go. H stands for the Holy Spirit. Without the filling and control of the Holy Spirit, we will continue to live in the flesh only fulfilling our own will or desires. However, when he is in control, then we experience the fruit of the Spirit, the relationships in our lives please God, and God's desires become our desires. We need to yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit, that's H. O stands for obedience to God's written word. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified, set apart by the impact of the truth of his word. Obedience to what we already know from God's word with the Holy Spirit's help 
will set us on the path to having daily victory over the worldly pressures, fleshly impulses, and evil attacks that are sure to come our way. This is the transforming process of renewal. Oh, obey. P stands for prayer. Over and over again, Jesus invited us to call out to him in prayer. He wants us to live in moment-by-moment communion with him. Prayer should be like breathing to us. Each time we pray, we're declaring there is a God who loves us and has a plan and purpose for our lives. P stands for prayer. The last letter in our acronym, HOPE, is the letter E, which stands for EXPECT. We consider what is true, we rely on that truth, and we expect God to be working out His will in in our lives. God the Father desires that God the Holy Spirit use the written word of God to daily shape us into the likeness of his son, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God. His plan is to make us holy. The key is to let the Holy Spirit fill and control you, obey what you know to be true, communicate regularly with God in prayer, and expect that he will accomplish his purposes in your life. From the moment I trusted Christ as a teen, I felt like that, that was the most important thing in my life. And I felt that I wanted to help others come to know Christ in that personal way that, that I had experienced. I went on to Bible college after high school, met my dear wife there, we went on to further training, I was thinking at that point that I would perhaps be a teacher in a Bible college uh, similar to what we had experienced at Oak Hills Bible College in Bemidji. Got about halfway through seminary, I majored in Greek in college, halfway through seminary. Kind of had a crisis about three years in. Not sure if it was a working couple different jobs, going to school full time. About that time our daughter Anna was born, our second child. And it all seemed to be too much. A lot of pressures. And I wondered, God, is this really what you're calling me to do? There seemed to be so many more gifted teachers and people in comparison, people I sat with every day. Is this what you want me to do? Almost seems too hard at this point. I took a semester off and I tried to wrestle with what is your will, God? I've been on this path, now I'm not sure. I remember working different jobs and exploring things. And I'll never forget the office of the director for the area, polar bear ice cream shops. Polar bear ice creams, I think it was called. They had different varieties of ice cream. And I was applying to be 
a manager of an ice cream store. And the man sat across from me and he looked at my resume and background and he said, I, I can hire you for this job, but all your preparation up to now has been towards ministry. If I hire you for this job in another year or two, are you gonna feel called back to the ministry? I don't believe he knew the Lord, but to me it was a little bit like Balaam and his donkey. It's kind of like, whoa. And from that time on, God helped me understand how we could both survive, manage the pressures, change the coursework I was doing to align more with the gifts and that God had given me, began to get involved in children and youth ministry and eventually administration. And for, that was 45 years ago. At different junctures along the way, when we've changed ministry locations, the question used to come up, does God still want to use me for his service? And he's reaffirmed that over and over. I didn't have a miraculous sign, the lights didn't flicker, the fleece wasn't wet, but God was saying, if you just trust me, I'll kind of help you through this rough patch and I want to use you. Although you're terribly unworthy, I want to use you to accomplish my will. Maybe you're at that point, tough time in your life when you're trying to figure out what direction should I go? Our one thing for today is this. We need to get to know the coach Study his playbook and know who he has made you to be. You can then rest assured that he will guide you through the moments, hours, days, weeks, and years of your life to fulfill his eternal plan. Please pray with me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the clear direction you give us that if we choose to follow you and, and set aside our lives and to be holy, if we will allow your spirit to rule in our lives and seek to know your word, that you will work out your will on a daily basis in our lives. Thank you that that's available to all of us. And I pray that we'd walk away today with clarity about what that means in our own experience. In Jesus' name, amen.